Good day, everybody. It's a great honor to be with you in yet another edition of God Truth Podcast. A podcast whose aim is to help you, dear listener, grow into the knowledge of God, praying that God has been with you and your family throughout the week. In the previous episode, we examine how scripture plainly shows that our God is one. In books such as Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me, showing God's exclusivity as well as his oneness and uniqueness as the only God worthy of our worship. Isaiah 44.6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. As well as Isaiah 45, 5-6, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no one beside me. There is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. That God is the first and the last and no other God is above him or besides him. In the New Testament, we read of God's oneness in passages like Galatians 3, 20. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. And First Timothy 2, 5, which says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This oneness is what is referred to as his essence or being, what God is. We also went forward to touch on the Trinity from the Latin word trinitas, meaning threeness or threefold, a doctrine that affirms that God is one in being and three in persons. This word, though not found in the Bible, is spoken of in the Bible in verses such as Matthew 28, 18 through 19. And Jesus is saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven, and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In this verse we see Christ affirming the oneness of God as well as distinguishing each member of the Godhead, that is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. This is a profound truth that surpasses our human understanding and has to be believed by faith. A failure to understand this doctrine will lead to a failure in understanding God has revealed in His Word. We therefore need to carefully study the Word of God to come to an understanding of this doctrine. Following this brief overview of our previous episode, in which we discussed God's oneness in depth, we now focus on today's episode where we will be Discussing God who is three in person. The doctrine of the, of the Trinity is of a paradoxical nature in that at a closer look, what seems to be contradictory is non-contradictory. What do I mean by that? Well, the law of non-contradiction states that something cannot be what it is and not be what it is at the same time or in the same relationship. For example, a watch cannot be a watch, and at the same time, not a watch. 
or a chair made of wood cannot be a chair made of wood and at the same time not a chair made of wood having said that having said that then we can have a look at the formula of the doctrine of the trinity and examine it again and give it a closer look to see if it's contradictory the formula for the trinity says that god is one in essence and three in person it does not say that god is one in essence and then three in essence or god is three in person and then one in person we can therefore see that god is one thing and god is another thing therefore the doctrine of the trinity is non contradictory we can affirm then that this doctrine is true even though it seem to be contradictory as our human mind is finite and cannot grasp how one being could be contained in three persons and still be one being we therefore need to come to an understanding of essence and person what distinguishes us from insects or insects from a lion or a lion from god well that would be the essence of the thing therefore the essence of god greek osia is what god is in himself this is an affirmation by the church that god is one that is god is one being the problem then comes in explaining how god who is one exists as three persons to understand this then we must realize that the formula for the trinity was derived from the latin word persona and this is where we get our word person in english the primary function of this word persona in the latin language was as a legal term or for a character in dramatic arts this character was played by one person who was wearing masks to differentiate between the different character as he played the different personality or roles so when tertullian first penned down the word trinity trinitas he had in view a god who is one in essence and three in personi and what he meant here is that god exists as three roles or personalities father son and holy spirit we therefore see that the meaning of this is missed in the english language as the word person means one distinct being the next obvious question then is to ask how can we distinguish or make a distinction among the person of the trinity well one of the way is in terms of their personal properties this refers to relations of origin otherwise known as opera ad intra god's eternal work the personal property then means that the father is unbegotten the son is begotten of the father and the spirit proceeds from the father and the son we therefore see that the father is distinct from the son and the spirit the son is not the father or the spirit nor is the spirit the father or the son each of the three persons of the trinity is his own person in the trinity we see this distinction in the book of 
Matthew 28:19 we also see this distinction in the book of Matthew 3:16 through 17 and it says after being baptized Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lightning on him and behold the voice of heaven said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased we can see here clearly a distinction made between the persons of the of the trinity the dove the dove and the lightning representing the spirit the voice in heaven representing the father and the son jesus christ being represented as is being baptized we see this distinction also in the last chapter of second corinthians 13 verse 14 which says the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the communion of the holy spirit be with you all amen yet we also see this distinction made in the last book of the bible revelation chapter 1 verses 4 to 5 and it says john to the seven churches which are in asia grace to you and peace from him who is who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the over the kings of the earth we can see here that the who was who is and who is to come that is the first person of the trinity called the father and then we have the second person of the trinity Jesus Christ the king of kings and in between the two is the seven spirit of god and this is the third person of the trinity another way of understanding the distinction among the person of the trinity is that each person is eternal we see that the bible say god is from everlasting to everlasting psalms 90 verses 2 that he existed before else all else came to be by the power of his mouth we can see the eternality of the father in the following verses psalms 91 verses 2 it says lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting you are god Moses is crying and in this prayer and saying that God you have been our father from everlasting to everlasting you have been present and our stronghold that he existed before the world was made Isaiah affirms the eternality of God the father in Isaiah 57 verses 15 for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits who inhabits eternity whose name is holy habakkuk also cries out are you know from everlasting to everlasting o lord my god my holy one habakkuk 1:12 the eternality of the father is also seen in the new testament when paul says in first timothy 1:17 now to the king eternal immortal invisible god to god who alone is wise be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. We also see this in the book of Revelation 1:4 where John says grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. 
As we had seen earlier before, that this person being talked of here is God the Father. And John is stating that this God is who was and now is and who is going to come affirming his eternality. The Bible also speaks of the Son's eternality. Isaiah in his prophecy of the coming Messiah in Isaiah 9 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and, in, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The child who was born, or the child who was to be born, was called Eternal Father, affirming Christ's eternality. Micah as well, the prophet Micah as well, says in Micah 5 verses 2, that a ruler was to come whose goings are from old, from everlasting. In the prologue of John 1, 1, the word is said to be God and was in the beginning with God. Genesis 1, 1, affirming Christ's eternality. Christ also in his prayer in John 17, 5 says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. God, the Holy Spirit, is also eternal. In Genesis 1, 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. We see here that the Holy Spirit was present in the time of creation, affirming his eternality. The writer of Hebrews also affirmed the eternality of the Spirit in Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Dear listener, we have come to the end of yet another episode. And I would like, before we finish today, to read you a small section of Stephen Lawson's book, Show Me Your Glory. And in it, he quotes, This undivided God demands our exclusive loyalty to him. He alone is God, and he alone must be our sole trust and confidence. God and God alone must be our hope in this life and the life to come. He only is worthy of our supreme affection and strongest allegiance. As the psalmist Esau pronounces, Who have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. Psalm 73, 25. God must be our one and only rock and refuge. Exclusive devotion is what God requires of us. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Matthew 6, 24. Serving God through His Son Jesus Christ is always an all or nothing proposition. We can never merely double in a commitment to Him. He categorically demands our exclusive fidelity. We must reject all other gods and give Him our wholehearted devotion. God alone is God and He alone must be our God. May we say with the Apostle Paul, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the, for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 13, 14. 
May this be our one goal, the pursuit of knowing this triune God through Jesus Christ. May all else be secondary. May he be primary. Unquote. Dear listener, may we let God be primary in our lives and all else secondary. I wish you a blessed week and as always, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all in Christ Jesus throughout your week. Amen. <laughs>